BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. It is a road version of the podcast. It's the beginning of August. I'm on my NFL training camp tour. For those of you looking at this on video, you're seeing me in the back seat of our Ford Explorer SUV, which I rented near my house in Brooklyn. We took to Foxborough. We went to see the New York Giants in New Jersey. Then we went to Latrobe, Pennsylvania to see the Steelers. We have just left Cincinnati, downtown Cincinnati, uh, watching the Bengals practice, talking to a bunch of their people. And now we are about 200 miles outside of Nashville on the outskirts of Louisville. We're just approaching a town called LaGrange. Now, I don't think I've ever been to LaGrange And I don't think I'm going to be there now either. But I'm just trying to give you sort of our situation. So the reason why I'm sitting here in the back seat with my laptop and with our good luck charm. So we got this at the Cincinnati Zoo. His name is Burrow. And so in the front seat right now, holding the camera, we have Kelsey Bartles from New Jersey and driving uh, we have Morgan Miller from Virginia and they are who make the magic happen on the uh, Peter King road trip to NFL training camp so I've gotten you the situation now I'm going to tell you I'm going to set up our podcast and sort of tell you exactly what we're going to do for the next hour okay so we Today we're in Cincinnati, and one of my guests on the pod this week will be Jamar Chase, the reigning NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Next we'll have T.J. Watt, the NFL sack leader last year with 22 and a half sacks. Following that will be McCorkle Jones, also known as Mac Jones. So, I mean, we got a decent lineup. We've got right now we've got in inverse order we got mac jones the patriots quarterback uh we've got tj watt the steelers pass rusher and of course we got jamar chase uh the wide receiver the Bengals. so the way i'm going to do this is i'm going to do the intro to the podcast here right now in the car on the way to nashville where we'll see the titans tomorrow and 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 then We are going to do the middle and the end of the podcast at the Titans facility on Tuesday when we get to Nashville. So, obviously, the big news of the day was Deshaun Watson. Uh, uh, 
an arbitrator appointed by the National Football League and the National Football League Players Association, Sue L. Robinson, a former judge from Delaware, issued her ruling uh, earlier today and said essentially that the uh, that she was ruling that Watson should be suspended for uh, six games. Now, I think most people around the NFL will feel, wow, that's light. I certainly feel, wow, that's light. And I think Sue Robinson, and again, I've been with the Bengals today, so I haven't read a lot of the uh, commentary on what exactly happened, but I'll tell you how I saw it. My feeling is that uh, the arbitrator in this case, who clearly uh, is a respected jurist, and so nobody was going to be totally happy with this decision. But my feeling is it was too lenient. And my feeling is that Sue L. Robinson minimized uh, the offenses from Deshaun Watson, calling it nonviolent sexual offenses. Now, she also called it egregious behavior. And look, I, I you know, everybody is going to have a difference of opinion about what this is worth and what the suspension should be. The thing that I didn't like about it was in her tone, reading some excerpts from it, she minimized what happened to these 24 women. And uh, so that I don't like. And I do believe that the NFL uh, didn't like it either. And so I would expect that the NFL will announce that it will... Um, basically, uh, you know, try to appeal this ruling. Now, obviously, the appeal is an extremely slippery slope. Roger Goodell or his designee will hear the appeal, you know, within a week. And what do you think Roger Goodell or his designee is going to do? Agree with Sue L. Robinson? It's, you know, the way this was set up was just not good. But anyway, so... Let's talk about two other points in this story. Tom Pellicero watching him this morning on NFL Network before I went out to see uh, the Bengals. One of the things he said is that the NFL refused to agree to, uh, you know, the NFL and the NFLPA could not settle. Okay, They had settlement talks, I guess, within the last week, and they couldn't settle. And I think... The NFLPA thought, well, you know, why would we take uh, a suspension of more than 10 games? Because we believe that we made our point well to the arbitrator, Sue L. Robinson, and she is going to side with us maybe a little bit more than the NFL. The NFLPA was absolutely correct. You know, Deshaun Watson, I think, had a very favorable ruling. If you had told anybody in Cleveland, in my opinion, that Deshaun Watson would be eligible to play uh, 11 of the 17 games this year for the Cleveland Browns, they would have signed for that a long time ago. I think the Browns, whatever they're going to say, the Browns are euphoric with this decision. Now we'll see if it, if it stands. The one other thing about this is, there is a realistic part of this story. And the realistic part of this story is that 
Cleveland Browns have to line up for the first game of the first six games of the season with Jacoby Brissett playing quarterback, which really brings them down to earth. But the one other thing that I keep thinking, by the time Deshaun Watson plays a football game in October, in late October, he will have been sitting at that point for 22 months without playing a football game. So I do not take for granted that Deshaun Watson's going to hit the ground running and be the same player he was, uh, you know, obviously, you know, before this scandal happened. So I think everybody should, even though clearly everybody's happy in getting Deshaun Watson for the last uh, 11 games of the season, don't take for granted that Deshaun Watson is going to be the same player he was, and he's not going to have to knock some rust off. So, that's my thought. I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was the wrong decision, quite honestly, and I thought she was too lenient. So there you go. So, let's spend a couple of minutes before we get into Jamar Chase on the road we've been on since I last spoke to you. Um, we're in Foxborough, we're in East Rutherford with the Giants, and we were in uh, Latrobe, Pennsylvania with the Steelers, and then uh, today, earlier today, in Cincinnati. And I'm going to give you some thoughts about each one of those teams, but let's start with the Bengals, because they're the reigning AFC champs, and that's where we just were most recently, and we'll lead into Jamar Chase that way couple of thoughts that I found interesting. I don't think that the Bengals, if you say, well, Super Bowl, hangover, all that stuff, I I don't sense that the Bengals are down in the mouth or, oh, they're going to be scarred for life after losing that Super Bowl because they realize what happened last year. So they win a game that wasn't particularly well played by either team the wild card game against the Raiders at home. Then they go on the road and they beat the Titans and they go on the road and they beat Kansas City. But, you know, in both cases against Tennessee and Kansas City, they got some help from the other quarterback. I mean, Ryan Tannehill throws three interceptions, including a crucial one, you know, inside of two minutes that allows the uh, Bengals to go down and win the game. And then obviously Patrick Mahomes throws an interception late in that game and the Bengals, uh, you know, basically with the hottest field goal kicker in recent playoff history, if not playoff history, period, uh, Evan McPherson end up winning that game. So I think if you're the Bengals, yes, it's a heartbreaking thing to lose late against the Los, An- the, uh, Los Angeles Rams. But I didn't sense anybody inside that building is, oh, my God, we lost that game. You know, I spent maybe a half hour, 25 minutes with, uh, with Zach Taylor. He certainly doesn't feel that way. He's bummed out for sure, and he'll remember it for a long time. But he certainly doesn't feel that way. The one thing that, and I'm going to write about this in my column next week, There's one thing that really stuck out to me in Cincinnati. You know, one of the great things about taking this trip, about taking this training camp trip, is that you get to see behind the curtain a little bit. 
So I was getting ready to leave. I had just spent some time talking with the ex-Tampa Bay guard, Alex Kappa, um, who came to Cincinnati as a free agent. He and Ted Karras and Lael Collins are the imports through the offseason, you know, to beef up a very weak point of their offensive line. Obviously, the Bengals gave up 72 sacks in the regular and postseason last year, far and away the most of any team in in, uh, football. So I'm going to write about that. I'm still going to write about it. But here's the really interesting thing. I'm leaving the field, the last player on the practice field, was Jamar Chase. And Jamar Chase was catching balls from the jugs gun. And, you know, I asked him, how many balls do you catch? And he goes, well, let's see. There's 40 balls in uh, uh, in each one of these big buckets. And then I'm going to do it three times. I said, okay, 120 balls. And what happened was he, he had a defender. His uh, A young running back had to go in... Uh, inside and couldn't do it anymore so he called over Jeff Hobson who's the uh, uh, the the guy who's the editor of Bengals.com and he was on the field just hanging out waiting and so he gets Jeff Hobson to play defense on him to to uh, you know flash a towel in front of him so this ball coming to him at 40 miles an hour it's going to be more difficult to catch than just catching the ball with no interference so and I just thought, how about this? There has been nobody on this field for 20 minutes. And here is the offensive rookie of the year, um, Jamar Chase, out there practicing on the jugs gun uh, after everybody leaves. I just thought it was a really good sign, a good signal of who Jamar Chase is. It's funny, Zach Taylor, the coach of the Bengals, when I said, when I told him I was going to be talking to Chase, he goes, you know, might want to talk to him about his work ethic. He said, this guy's crazy. <laughs> so, you know, anyway, it was a good. Those are the kind of things that when I, when I see them on my training camp trip, I said, that is why I come out here and do these things. So let's go to my uh, conversation today in a slight rain around noontime. Uh, with Jamar Chase. This was recorded on Monday of this week, whenever you'll be hearing it. Um, And so here I am with Jamar Chase. Here at Bengals training camp, Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati, I'm with Jamar Chase, uh, the reigning NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. And Jamar, I wonder if, even though you had great expectations for yourself as a rookie, did you surpass them? Um... For the most part, I did, you know, just coming in and having that mindset to dominate, you know what I'm saying? I definitely did that on my perspective, yes. So, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the bond you were able to form both at LSU and here Mm -hmm. with Joe Burrow. And I know receivers often say it's really important to be like one with the quarterback. Mm -hmm. Take me back to Baton Rouge and getting on the same page so well, as well as you did with Joe Burrow. Yeah, um, it all started from, you know, summer practices, like, like camp and stuff. Uh, we would go on U High's field right across the street from LSU's campus and just throw on Sundays and Saturdays just to get the chemistry down with all the receivers. And, you know, once the game came, 
you know what I'm saying? It just it just took off, you know what I'm saying? Once the game came, we took off, the communication got better, and it just built it on from there. When did you know the Bengals were going to pick you? <laughs> uh, either the night before uh, or the night of. So it was, it was like either or happening. And did Joe call you and tell you what was going to happen? Yeah, he texted me and told me to text my bags, uh, bring my bags, pack them. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your feeling when you found out that you were going to be reunited with Joe? Honestly, you know, I was I was excited because, you know, I know how much potential we had coming into this season, especially him coming off his injury. Um, you know what I'm saying? I know that gave him more confidence after the injury, you know, and it just gave me confidence, you know, after my set-out year to come in and dominate and want to be a part of something special. Can you tell me when last year, in your rookie year, you knew that you could be great? Was there a game? Was there a catch you made? Was there something that happened during the course of your rookie year that convinced you, hey, you know, I can do this? I always knew I could be great. You know, it was just... My teammates pushed me, actually. You know what I'm saying? They definitely kept me up when I was down and I came in in the season. Um, and, you know, they always told me keep pushing, keep going forward. So, you know, without my teammates, you know, I wouldn't have you know, probably had that, that much experience that I did last year. You said in a story in GQ that it sounded like you were a little bit annoyed that you only got five targets in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Did you ever talk to Joe about it? Was it just kind of kidding around annoyed, or were you really annoyed? It was a kid around annoyed, you know what I'm saying? Throughout the whole season, uh, I averaged about seven catches a game, so um, it wasn't like me getting ten catches every game. So, I mean, that was the average, you know what I'm saying? That was just one of the games I had lowest catches, and, you know, they just play good coverage sometimes. Joe didn't have enough time. Uh, we played against one of the best D-lines in football, so, you know what I'm saying? It was a different speed that game than any other game. Yeah. Have you gotten a little bit spoiled now after going to the Super Bowl in your first year and winning all those big games in January? I wouldn't say spoiled. You know, it just humbles me to be ready for this upcoming situation we have this year. You know, we, we're facing adversity as we speak now. So, um, you know, as the whole team gets better, we're waiting on Joe, B.A. stepping up. So it's just everyone's facing adversity to be the next man up. And, you know, we have to see what's in front of us now. Zach Taylor told me that you're – one of your secrets is how you work. Mm -hmm. Maybe people on the outside don't see all the little things you do. If you're, if there's a kid, there's a receiver in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who's mm -hmm. watching this right now, what do you tell them about how to be great? I'll tell them just focus on you. You know what I'm saying? There's so much you can control. Um, but for the most part, you know, you want to be great. You got to work at it constantly every day. Even when you're tired, you gotta know when to push yourself. You gotta know when to over push yourself and give yourself rest. So that's 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 what comes with being an athlete. I I've heard also that that Troy Walters, your receivers coach, mm -hmm. has been a guy who's pushed all three of you. I mean, all the receivers on right. this team. What does he do to make you better? Uh, Troy has been you know, a great great person here for me. You know what I'm saying? Not just off the field, but on the field also. Um, just pushing me to be great, you know what I'm saying? Making sure I catch extra jugs, extra tennis balls, um, even in a playbook. You know what what is the story with the tennis balls? Because yeah. I've seen receivers do that yeah. around the league. Why is that important? Uh, it just helps with hand-eye coordination, slows the ball down when it's coming at you. Um, you know, it's just, like I said, hand-eye coordination. That's the main part you want to have. And, you know, just making sure you're focusing in on the ball when it's coming at you. Two other things. 
How did you learn to be kind of fearless on the field? You don't seem to be in any way intimidated by the physical part of this game mm -hmm. or, or really by anything. Where does that come from? Um, honestly, I think it came from me playing running back. You know, so I played running back in middle school, and then when I got to high school, you know, I played. I had a little bit of carries at, at running back. So um, having that physical toughness in the school I went to and the college I went to, you know, they they built me into the man I am today. You put little post-it notes around your your home mm -hmm. to, you know, are those goals? What are those exactly? Give me an idea of what you put on your post-it notes. <laughs> uh, I put them in my bathroom, so every morning I wake up, you know, brushing my teeth and stuff. I see them, you know, I read them. Um, but Give me just, an example. What would be a good post-it so note that you would see? It's like quotes. I have quotes now. I, I don't have all my goals yet, but I have quotes now. It's just be a leader, you know, be on time, um, execute, and, and push others around me. So that's, that's something that I have in my mirror right now just to give myself motivation every day I wake up. I want to ask you one more thing. So, after the Super Bowl, kind of a bitter loss, mm -hmm. and you, I guess, are looking for Joe Burrow, kind of can't find him, and you went, from what I understand, and kind of got him out of his lethargy, mm -hmm. got him out of his room to, to go with you to do something. Tell me about the night of the Super Bowl and what you did with Joe. Yeah, so um, I think he was with his family at first, and I text him, you know, and he, he was actually, I think he was looking for me first. And I told him where I was at, and he came up to the room and just asked what we was going to do. And I said, I said, we, we was going to go out, you know what I'm saying? You should come with us, you know what I'm saying? Because you don't get this experience no more. Um, so, you know, just like one of the lifetime experience. And you're one of the best quarterbacks, you know what I'm saying, to ever do it. So, you know, bro, just come out with us, have a good time, you know, enjoy the moment while you're here because we might not get this chance again. Did you think he was a little down after the game? He was. I mean, he was. Especially the way I know him, that's why I told him to do it, you know what I'm saying? I don't want him to sit inside and dwell on the moment, you know what I'm saying, or what he could have done, what he could could done. So, I mean, you just you got to see what you do, watch the film, and then move on from it. You really want to be the best receiver in football, don't you? That's my goal. No questions? No questions. Yeah. What about you against Justin Jefferson? I'm better than Justin. <laughs> I'm better than Justin. What about Devontae? I don't know if I'm better than him, but I'll definitely rate myself high, you know what I'm saying? I watch his film all the time. He told me he watches my film, so... That's definitely something to, to keep me working. Yeah. Hey, listen, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. At Bengals Camp in Cincinnati with Jamar Chase, this is Peter King. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
So back on the podcast, I'm joining you now from Nashville, home of the Tennessee Titans. And I'm outside the Titans facility right now. And the reason is for those of you who are watching this podcast, I'm going to try to describe it for everyone. But for those watching, I just wanted to show you the brand new facility that is so new here. It's a refurbished facility. Uh, They spent tens of millions of dollars, Amy Adams Strunk, the owner of the Titans, to more than double this in size. And I just want to focus on, you see this, uh, these lower windows right by the side of the practice field? That is where head coach Mike Vrabel and general manager John Robinson are. Their office is a butt so that they always can be in touch with each other and they can just walk right out onto the practice field. So, and then keep going around and you'll see how the Titans have more than doubled their space um, for both business office and for the football side. Uh, I was floored when I saw this because listen, I've been coming here ever since the Titans moved to Nashville or ever since the franchise moved to Nashville. And I'll tell you what, this used to be a dump. I mean, a dump. And they've done a heck of a job fixing it up. Anyway, just a little take you to a place that maybe you couldn't normally see. So we are going to, I'm going to lead into our next podcast guest, uh, guest, TJ Watt of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But before I do, there's two things I wanted to say about the Steelers. And we'll get to all the teams that I've been to. But I wanted just to say two things about the Steelers before we... Uh, move on to to T.J. Watt. Number one, they don't want to hear this talk that Roethlisberger's gone, the GM, Kevin Colbert is gone. They've both been there forever. They don't want to hear this talk. Well, rebuilding year. If you read my column this week, Football Morning in America, you saw Mike Tomlin uh, bring the heat at me through his sunglasses, basically saying, bring it on. And so... I think he thought I was saying, hey, you guys are going to be mediocre. Hey, look, I don't know how they're going to be. But you can bet that Mike Tomlin is taking notes of everybody he thinks, thinks his team is going to be lousy. And just remember, 15 years a head coach, never a losing season for Mike Tomlin. So they certainly don't want to uh, break that precedent now. Number two, you know, You see things in different camps, and even though I fully expect Mitchell Trubisky to win the starting job at quarterback, the interesting thing is, man, Kenny Pickett can really throw the ball. Uh, I mean, he, he has got a Jacob deGrom fastball, and he really was impressive in the limited time I saw him. He threw a great... Uh, touch pass to the corner of the end zone. He's not getting a lot of snaps, uh, you know, in practice, but the snaps that he get, he, he gets, he's taken advantage of. So we're going to get into my conversation. We got a lot more to do on this podcast, including discussing the incredible uh, discipline against the Miami Dolphins. But we got a lot to do. But first, let's get to my conversation with T.J. Watt. Led the NFL in sacks with 22.5 last year. Uh, Had a fantastic year. And I think you'll see in here, I really was interested in this about T.J. Watt. You were a kind of a lifetime tight end. How in the world did you get to the defensive side of the ball? And in such a short period of time, how did you get to be a first-round pick? 
So let's hear from TJ Watt, and I'll be back with you on the other side. The thing that I learned most about myself and is how much I love the game over that, that period of time. Because This was 2013 and 14, 14 right? Yeah, yeah, and I wasn't fully healthy until like 2015. You summer. were recruited out of high school in Wisconsin to go play for the Badgers, tight end, which yeah. is kind of a badge of honor as a tight end. So then what happened? Why didn't you play for those two years? So I redshirted um, for most of the year and went up again. I needed to redshirt. I was a young 18-year-old kid going up against 22-year-old grown men. Um, yeah. needed to just develop. And then during bowl prep of uh, my freshman year, I had an MPFL repair. So I tore my... What uh, is that exactly? tore my MPFL. It's basically dislocating your kneecap. So it yeah. pops out like this and you get these nice scars. Here. How did that feel? Terrible. Oh, felt yeah. brutal. I actually didn't get the surgery until it tore like two or three times. Wow. So I waited, tried to recover from it, and then came back in spring ball, and same thing happened to the other knee. And then eventually it got to a point where I just said, we need to get the surgery and, and just see what happens here. So I got the surgery on the one, fixed it, came back for fall ball, and the other one tore again. So I said, okay. Did you think your career was doomed? <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. It was... It was a situation where I said, I'm going to get the surgery on the left one, so now both are surgically repaired, and if it tears one more time, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to go through this my whole college career. This, is, this sucks, having to be on crutches for three months at a time. Um, and that was basically when I made the commitment to myself that I was going to dedicate my life to football and trying to be the best player that I can be. And, um, when was the second surgery? It was... It was in the fall of 2014 or 20, yeah, in, or in the spring of 2015, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, because I think I got the surgery in fall of 2014 and then another one in the spring of 2015. And then I made this switch to defense. For somebody who went to college as a tight end and who presumably was training to be a tight end mm -hmm. mentally and or physically for two full years, what was it like when your head coach says, I think we're going to move you to defense? Yeah, it was a little. And little, what happened? Yeah, it was a little slap in the face at first, of course, because it's like, oh, what, am, what am I not a good enough tight end? But I, I understood, I took a breath, and I understood why he was saying it. He said, we need to find a way to get you on the field. And uh, it was just happening because I was twerking uh, on the edge. I was Guys are falling on me a lot when you're on offense. You don't have those problems on defense. You can usually avoid the piles. Uh, so I kind of went home after he told me that, watched some YouTube videos, watched some highlights of guys playing defense and just fell in love with the attitude and being able to make a play on every single down. You don't have to have the ball run your way to have a good block or the ball thrown for you uh, to make a good catch. Did you consult with J.J. at all? I think I might have. I mean, I was going to school with Derek, too, so I think we had a little conversation about it. But uh, more than anything, I just wanted to play. And if it was going to give me an opportunity to play football, I mean, like I said, two years without playing, uh, I just wanted to practice more than anything. So any sort of game time was incredible. And so then you finally end up playing for, like, what, a year and a half mm -hmm. only. And you then have to make a decision about whether you want to come out or not. What was that decision-making process like for you? Yeah, it was tough because I felt like I was just getting started. I was starting to get comfortable early on. Stuff was very natural to me, but I wasn't. I didn't really know the X's and O's of everything, so it took me a while to really understand what offenses were trying to do and how to play defense. And uh, I actually got a return to school grade in December when I asked if I should go out or stay in, and it was one of those things where you had played at that time only one full season, yeah. you know, as an edge guy, yeah, as a and, starter. Yeah. And at that time, let's explain that. So. 
guys who still have eligibility left mm. can petition to the NFL to ask uh, a group of scouts, what is my draft grade? And is it your recommendation that I that I stay in school or first, go into or the third, draft yeah. first, second, or third round? What exactly did your petition say when it came <laughs> back? It said return to school. It said you need time to develop as a player. So basically from that point on, I said, I mean, when I made the switch, I said I'm dedicating my life to football. I'm betting on myself. I, I know how hard I work. I know what I can do. I'm going to believe in myself. I have a great support system. So when I read that letter, I was like, these people don't know me. All they know is what they see on film. They don't know me personally. They don't know how hard I work, how hard I'm going to work to show these teams that I belong here. And that's kind of from there. I ripped up the paper and said, screw it, I'm going to the NFL. Do you, do you remember what the next, like, four months were like? Because it was at that point you now have to prepare for the draft exactly. in April. Mm -hmm. You announced that you were going to come out. And then what did you do for those four months? Got on a flight right after the Cotton Bowl to Arizona and just started training as much as I could, eating as eating the, the right food, uh, hydrating, getting the right sleep, trying to do all the little things that I knew that my workout partners at Exos weren't necessarily doing. Because it's, it's such a, you have to find those marginal gains, you have that 1%, what's going to separate you? Everywhere you go during that whole draft process, you have to, be able to look a coach in the eye and say, what separates me from everybody else? And I think that's super important to know what you're good at and also what your weaknesses are so you can work on those. I want to just go back and ask you one other thing about your history. There's three Watt brothers who currently play in the National Football League. When you were growing up in Wisconsin, did you guys ever talk about that did you think about it or was it just a s silly pipe no, dream never never I mean it was one of those things where we were always looking at the next thing so growing up my dad coached JJ he coached Derek and I was always a little ball boy so I always looked up to my brothers and I just want to play fifth grade football I want to be the quarterback and then once I start going to high school games and see JJ playing in high school it's like that's what I want to do and I never really watched NFL football, I and mean, my grandpa would have it on yelling at the screen, telling the Packers to pass the ball on third down, stuff like that. <laughs> but I mean, never really watched the NFL. And was your first was... memory of the NFL Favre? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, Favre. Like Do you guys Bubba, like Favre? Franks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 I yeah. love Favre. You know, yeah. like, you, I mean, I joke all the time. I think I won as Brett Favre for Halloween like four or five times. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't the, didn't the jersey feel maybe a little bit too small on you after a while? Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> I just kept getting hand-me-downs from my brothers, so I kept getting new ones. Uh, so here's the other thing I want to ask you about being in your family. Was it ever tremendously intimidating to have your brother winning the Defensive Player of the Year award in the NFL and you're just trying to make a little name for yourself. You know, you're trying to get on the field, get yeah. healthy, get on the field at Wisconsin. Like, I always thought about you in that way. What must it have been like? It's like the impossible dream. How, how could I ever compete with, you know, my yeah. demigod brother? I think I decided to look at it as, like, I have a blueprint of what it takes to get to where he is. And you could look at it like, oh, I... I despise my brother. He's got all the success. But my brothers, like, both of them are the coolest people. They give me so much advice. They're not going to keep anything close to the vest. If I have any questions, they're going to help me. And uh, I, I got a first pass 
behind stage look at how to be a dominant NFL football player. And uh, just so grateful that he was an open book for me. And any questions that I have, whether it's football related or life related, uh, he's always been there to help me and so has Derek. Um, did part of you feel like I want to make my own way and I want to, I want to make it even if I'm not, you know, the international superstar that he is, that I really want to make it too. Yeah, of course. I've, I've always told people I don't want to be the superstar. I don't need all the fame. I don't need all that. I just want to be a great football player. And, um, I've seen someone, two, two people from the house that I grew up in, drank the same milk I drank, ate the same meals I ate, and they made it to the NFL. So why can't I do that? And I feel like if I put my best foot forward, and uh, I feel like I can be one of the best players to play football, and it's just having the confidence in doing that. And I think that's a huge thing in the National Football League is to have that confidence. And once you have confidence with the hard work, it's very hard to be stopped. I want to ask you about being a Pittsburgh Steeler. You know, when I was a kid, you know, I was in high school and the, the Steelers are either winning the Super Bowl or contending for it every year, might have had the best defense of all time. And it's really something for generations of Pittsburgh Steelers to follow, mm -hmm. to basically say, hey, listen, our goal is to do what they did, you know, to hold teams, to shut out teams and all that stuff. How much do you, as a Steeler and as good a player as you are, feel and or appreciate the weight of history around here? It's huge. It's it's not. It's, it's definitely the elephant in the room. It's something that is talked about all the time. It's it's not just about us here. It's about all those guys that came before us and laid the foundation of truly Blitzburg to Steel Curtain, everything. And it's just trying to make our own legacy within this incredibly traditional organization and. It's very hard to do, and especially nowadays, but that's why, I mean, even last year, letting up as many rushing yards as we did is absolutely completely unacceptable for any NFL team, yeah. let alone the Pittsburgh Steelers. So um, it's definitely talked about a lot here in the Trove where a lot of those teams uh, prepared for seasons. Two other things. One, you have been in sort of a, a battle the last couple of years with Aaron Donald for <laughs> Defensive Player of the Year. Whether you think yeah. about that very much or not, mm -hmm. you got a couple of ants on you. I'm going to take care of them. It's Latrobe, it's all right. Yeah. But I wonder, do you sometimes watch him play and say, holy crap, that guy is good? And to, to, to beat him at least one year for Defensive Player of the Year, to me, it's almost like the year that Luke Keekley beat your brother mm -hmm. for Defensive Player of the Year. You got to think, holy cow, that is one heck of an accomplishment. Do you ever think of that? Not really. I mean, I love watching football games. I mean, obviously, if he's playing on like a Monday night or a Thursday night, I'm going to watch and always try to steal some sort of move or just yeah. uh, see how teams block him and how he defeats him. Because uh, once you get very well known as a defensive player, a game record. There's so many ways where teams try to eliminate you. And I'm always looking for those guys that command offenses uh, attention like he does. So that's mainly what I'm watching. Always trying to steal something more yeah. than like being in awe. Have you ever taken something from him that you now look at your game and said, that is from Aaron Donald? I don't know if there's anything in specific. Uh, I think uh, there's just so many things that he does well, and it's all about playing with the high motor and uh, taking 
knowing just playing as hard as you can and then getting a the guy in there for you and then getting back in there as soon as you're ready big old spider <laughs> but yeah it's I, I love the game of football i love watching it i have the utmost respect for all the players that do it at a high level and i'm always going to try to steal something this year seems like such an interesting year for the Steelers. It's your first year, everybody's first year here without Roethlisberger. Mm. There's going to be a new chapter in Steeler history being written. And it's also, when I look at this, this, this is a real challenging year. Mike Tomlin has never, in a decade and a half, had a season below 500. Yet, you guys are a total unknown this year. Mm. How do you look at this season and what you guys have to do to be successful? Play good defense is where it starts. Obviously, as a defensive player, I need to say that, but I think that's that's where it starts. We need to shut teams down early in games, keep the points down, and let our let our offense go to work. And obviously, we've got a good workhorse in Najee. feel really good about the quarterbacks that we have, whoever is going to be starting on uh, in week one. And uh, we have a good group of receivers as well. So, I mean... For me personally, I think that we need to do really, really well on defense. We, we can't have those 100-plus yard running games back-to-back -back weeks like we had last year. So that's where it starts for sure. Is it incredible to think that a guy could coach in the NFL for as long as Tomlin has? He's never had a losing season. I mean, if you knew him as well as we know him, it's not as surprising because <laughs> that, that, that guy will motivate you and he'll have you running into a brick wall with one conversation. It's, it's What's he been incredible. like this summer so far? He's, it's been super himself. Like nothing, it's never too high, it's never too low. It's always very transparent. He's going to tell you exactly how he feels, whether you like it or not. And uh, some people don't like that, but I'd rather know where I stand with him as opposed to him sugarcoating stuff and I get cut randomly. Uh, he's going to give you an opportunity to yeah. win the job. TJ Watt, thanks a lot. Really appreciate you taking some time. I'm, I, I, I love your history. It's really Thank fun. <laughs> it's fun to, to realize that probably of all the really good players, of all the really good players in the league, you had to kind of invent yourself in the middle of your college career. And it's kind of cool that you were able to do it and gone on to play at a high level. That's got to be fun for you to realize. Yeah, it's, it's made me appreciate the game. Like guys all the time complain about being in the troll, being in practice 14, but I'm like, hey, the game was taken away from me. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. TJ, thanks a lot. Thank you. In Latrobe with the Steelers, Peter King with NBC Sports. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... 
No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. So back here in Nashville at the Titans, my thanks to T.J. Watt. I really enjoyed that conversation because it sort of gives you a view into how he got to be who he is and where he is today. So let's get into a little bit about the three other teams. I'm going to give you one thought about the three other teams that I've seen prior to this, and then you're going to hear from Mac Jones. So number one, the New York Giants. Look, I've tried to tell people I used to cover the Giants a long time ago, and I don't really have any great connections with the organization anymore. But, I mean, I know John Mara, the team president, co-owner, uh, pretty well. But I, I don't I – don't, I barely know Joe Shane, the general manager, or Brian Dable, the coach. But I just would say this if you love the New York Giants. Be patient. This, this group, Joe Shane, Brian Dable, they are a very confident group, and they also – know exactly what they're doing. Joe Shane uh, has been under some really smart football people, going back to Bill Parcells in Miami, and and he was in Carolina with Brandon Bean, in Buffalo with Brandon Bean, saw how Sean McDermott runs a team, is a very good scout. And I just say, be patient. The one other thing is, look, everybody's on trial. If I were to guess right now, this is probably the last year for Saquon Barkley with the Giants because I just don't see him, if he, even if he has a really good year, them paying him $12 million a year. I just I don't see them investing that in that position. But anyway, Giants really interested me more for 2023 and 24 than for 2022. So let's talk just a moment uh, a couple of things about the New England Patriots. And I think one of the things that you notice when you're around the Patriots is this is Mac Jones's team. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Devin McCourty told me, the veteran, going to play this year at 35, you know, the veteran safety said, look, I, I've said to him, just be you. You're what we need. You know, whatever you were in high school, whatever you were in college, bring that here. That's who we want as our leader. And, and I, I think that really kind of interested me just from the standpoint that, look, you know, a lot of times guys might try to be holler guys or really kind of pretend leaders. Mac Jones is just going to be who he is. He's not a, not a guy who yells and screams. But I think that the Patriots think that's going to be good enough for them. One thing about the Bengals. So I'm really interested in seeing in a long-term way. I, I believe when I left there, when I left Cincinnati, they, were not, uh, they weren't in any great pain about the Super Bowl. Think of what happened to the Bengals. I mean, let's, let's, let's just be frank here. What happened to the Bengals is that they got a huge break against the Titans in the divisional game here in Nashville. Interception late. They drive, and Evan McPherson kicks a 900-yard field goal. They win the game. 
Next week, they go to Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes throws them an interception. Uh, And again, I'm not minimizing in any way what the Bengals did. Believe me, not minimizing it at all. I'm just saying that they got some breaks down the stretch. They had an incredibly clutch quarterback in Joe Burrow, and they had probably the rookie kicker more than any rookie kicker uh, in NFL history who had a clutch January and a great January in Evan Evan McPherson. So just because they lost an arrow game against the Rams, I don't think this team carries any permanent scar from that. So I want to go back to New England, and we're going to give you uh, like a five-minute conversation I had with, with McCorkle Jones. I just love his name. You know, he got Mac Jones from McCorkle. I just think that's kind of cool. Anyway, here's my conversation with Mac Jones. Peter King with NBC Sports here at Patriots training camp in Foxborough, Massachusetts, here with Mac Jones. So, Mac, the cliche question is year two versus year one. Mm. What is the big difference here in camp for you? Yeah, I think it's just uh, continuing to grow, continuing to lead the team, lead the offense, and you know, try and stack days together. You know, when you're a rookie, it's a little bit of just like, all right, what do I do on this play? You're just trying to figure everything out. And now it's more like, what can I do to make everybody around me better? And um, today, you know, obviously the second day, I know I wish we did better already, but we'll watch the tape and that's how it goes. You have good days and then days where you can watch the tape and learn. So regardless of how old, how old you are, every year you're learning from the film, you're learning out here during camp practices against, you know, our defense, which is one of the great defenses that's very multiple and has a lot of different you know fronts and coverages. Devin McCourty told me that he said listen or he said to you we want what you can bring that is Mac Jones yeah like who were you in high school who were you in college that's who we want to be here yeah don't try to be anybody else or anything else yeah what was that conversation like with him and did you take heed from that yeah I think um You know, Devin's definitely someone that's been around the league and been here forever, you know, and he has great advice. And I like to talk to the older guys and see what they have to say uh, to offer me advice, whether that was last year or this year. And that is one of the things is just to be me and to go out there and play the game that I know how to play Um, and then obviously lead the guys around me. But you can always do that better when you're a rookie. No matter what you do, you're always technically a rookie. So you're trying to get comfortable, get comfortable. And, you know, now it's like, how can I just continue to grow that comfortable, um, you know, that comfortable nature where I'm kind of in there talking in the meetings, talking out here on the field and doing all that stuff, which I did last year. But, you know, you're still a rookie. So it's just a little bit different, you know, going into your second year. You had an established offensive coordinator last year, Josh McDaniels, Super Bowl veteran. And now you come into camp this year, and it's sort of offensive coordinator by committee almost. I saw Bill Belichick a lot with the quarterbacks out here. What's that like? What's the difference like? Um, It's been good. I think you can learn from really good coaches regardless of, you know, if they're a defensive head coach or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Coach Belichick's seen offensive football, you know, from – way back in the day to all the way and how it's evolved. So he knows exactly the origins of it um, and obviously the defensive part too, where he can analyze the defense and put us in a good position with the right play call because he knows what the defense is doing. So um, I'm really comfortable with our offensive coaching staff. It's just getting getting everything down, getting the play calls down. It's it's a little bit of a rhythm to it and that's what we're gonna work on. Um, And it's a process, it's not gonna happen overnight, but 
we've made good strides and we just got to continue to do that. How much, how long did it take you to get over the playoff loss in Buffalo? Yeah, I think, you know, you never want to lose the last game of the year. Um, your goal Especially is Especially the way you lost it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you have to think about, you know, you're only as good or bad as your last game. So that's all we have to base off of is kind of that loss. But there's learning experiences there. We know what it takes to to win, you know, 10 games and stuff. But we also have to move on to this next season and realize it's a long season and you want to kind of push towards the end and play your best football at the end of the season, which we can do a lot better job of. But right now it's just all about fundamentals and getting better and focusing on what's important. And that's getting together in the meetings, the walkthroughs out here in, in practice, and then the season will take care of itself. One question about sort of your history. Everything I've always read about you, it's that you had sort of, I guess what young people now call the haters. Mm -hmm. You know, the people who sort of didn't believe in you. And I wonder, how much over the years has that driven you to be who you are today? Yeah, I think I'll reference Coach Saban, but he said if I ever listened to the internet, I would have stopped playing a long time ago. And there's a lot of people that that's the same thing. I mean, you're always going to get people who say that you're you know, not good enough to do something. And I still have so much to prove. I'm always trying to be better than what I was yesterday and be better than myself, really. I just try to compete against myself. And I know when it's a good day and I know when it's a bad day, but it's more about the routine. All right, what did I do before practice to put myself in position? Can I keep it consistent? Can I do it every day? So you're going to have people say things, but at the end of the day, I mean, they have their opinions. And my job is to come out here and work hard and do what I've always done. And that's just persevere um, and work each day. That's all you can do. You once, I read anyway, I think you were in high school, you spent a lot of time like studying the mechanics, the motion and everything of Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. And I wonder now, it's been a couple of years, but do you ever feel like Man, I'm quarterback in Tom Brady's team. Um, I think, you know, Tom's a great quarterback and he did so much here. And just to be able to watch him play, you know, even now, just the way he plays the game is the right way. He's very smart um, and does a great job there. But, um, you know, I'm just I'm just here to work. And, you know, as a rookie, you know, you're coming in and, and competing with the other quarterbacks, but also yourself, like I said. So I always watch people that are good at what they do, whatever it is, if you're a really good whatever, pilot, let's find out what the really good pilots do, you know? So that's my thing, and he's a really good quarterback, and there's lessons to learn from everybody. And just watching tape and all that, you see you know, great quarterback play around the league. So I always try to be a sponge and learn from whoever I can. Mac Jones, thanks for taking the time. Yeah. Have a great year. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. My thanks to Mac Jones, and in fact, my thanks to all of my guests on this training camp trip. Uh, obviously, uh, in this podcast, uh, Jamar Chase, T.J. Watt, Mac Jones, all uh, thanks to them for their time. So I'm going to close this week with uh, some thoughts about what the NFL did. In, in the open, we talked about Deshaun Watson. Now in the close, we're going to talk about what the NFL has done to the Miami Dolphins. For many of you, you heard the news on Tuesday that the NFL came down very hard on the Dolphins, but kind of surprisingly, not because of what happened with uh, Brian Flores and his accusations that I was, I was uh, uh, promised $100,000 a game if we would just tank games. So Roger Goodell and the NFL said, we don't find corroborating evidence that that did happen. 
basically uh, pretty much dismissed all of that. Uh, but what they really came down hard on the Dolphins for was their courtship of Tom Brady, which uh, the, uh, the NFL found violated uh, the tampering rules of the NFL. So obviously, which you heard, the NFL has taken away Miami's first-round pick in 2023 and their third-round pick in 2024. In addition, owner Stephen Ross has been suspended until mid-October and fined $1.5 million. There's other tenets uh, of this sanction, but those are the big deals. So I think there's three points to be made about this. Number one, the NFL often has been accused of going light on owners in this league. For instance, not suspending or uh, coming down hard on Robert Kraft for um, his uh, uh, trips to the, uh, the day spa in South Florida, not coming down hard enough on Daniel Snyder, uh, fining him $10 million for all of the sexual harassment uh, and workplace violations that the NFL found. I think they came down very hard on Stephen Ross. Maybe Roger Goodell knew that. Maybe he said, you know, I've really got to set an example, particularly when it comes to the competitive balance issues in the NFL. In finding that Stephen Ross did uh, tamper with Tom Brady uh, while he was not, uh, you know, while he was not allowed to tamper with Tom Brady, um, while he was still the employee of another team, um, I think in coming down so hard, he basically said, listen, anything that goes to the integrity of the game, we are going to slap you around pretty well on. So that's the first thing. Number two, I think Tom Brady's reputation is going to take a big hit with this because he had to know that before he was able to be totally free, he had to know that he wasn't allowed to speak with other teams. And particularly, I think he had to know that if you go far down the road with these teams and somebody finds out, you deserve to get, uh, to get in trouble. So even though Brady himself was not uh, sanctioned in this thing, I think his reputation will take a hit over it. Number three, I think one of the things about this story that resonates with me and resonates, I think, and should resonate with people is that we've always thought over time that, okay, well, look, we know that Brady's leaving New England. We know that Sean Payton is going to be leaving the Saints soon. So, you know, why not just allow those guys to talk? Well, this basically is a shot across the bow from the NFL. Do not violate our tampering rules and because they viewed that this the tampering rules were violated you know they came down hard and i think what this was was also a message to the rest of the league and the message is just understand you know we we don't want uh bad workplace environments you know we don't want uh owners bringing uh bringing shame uh, and being on the national news for uh, going to massage parlors or whatever that place in Florida was. So we don't want that. But when you mess with 
the game, you know, and basically talk about what, let's say, as soon as you become free, let's just say we let's just talk about what we can do. You know, when you mess with that, I think that that's when the NFL showed in this particular case that they are going to come down very, very hard. So, man, it's been a busy week. Deshaun Watson, uh, the Dolphins penalty, uh, a bunch of training camps, five. Uh, So we've done a lot of things. We're going to stay on the road here for the next week. Uh, We're going to be in Tampa. I don't think we're going to get a chance to speak with Tom Brady, but we're going to be in Tampa. We're going to be in Green Bay. We're going to be in Chicago. We're going to be in Minnesota. So uh, we've got a busy rest of this week. You'll hear from me about those teams and also our trip early next week uh, to see Kansas City in St. Joseph, Missouri. Always one of my favorite spots on the tour. So thanks for joining me this week on the podcast. It was fun. Um, I really hope you enjoyed that T.J. Watt talk. I just I really enjoyed that personally, just listening to him talking about, uh, you know, his life and how he ended up being a great pass rusher. I don't know. Just one of those things that that I'll remember from this trip. Anyway, thanks for joining me this week. Look forward to talking to you again next week. I think from somewhere in Missouri. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.